If you have a Bible today, I want you to open it up to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and in verse 42. Coming off the heels of revive, or excuse me, uh, the, the heels of looking at the anointing for several weeks and what it does and how it can impact our lives, I want to uh, not talk about the anointing, but I want to look at the book of Acts, and I want to specifically look at the early church and exactly what happened in the early church. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with all at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together uh, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that as we open your word together, that, Lord, we won't just hear another message or hear another reading, but these words would be life to us, health to all of our members. Father, we just believe that as your word is preached today, it will, it will not come back void, but it will do exactly what it is that you have sent it to do in Jesus' name. Amen. So culture is really, and I'll say church culture, is really strange right now. And I was just even on, online this week and uh, watching some different church services, and that's, you know, what I like to do sometimes. And uh, in particular, there's a church that I like to watch. They have wonderful teaching, but they're not even a, what we would characterize a spirit-filled church, meaning that they uh, believe that the gifts of the spirit weren't even for today. I watched them and quite I mean, I do enjoy, enjoy teaching. Let me go on. And I thought, and I turned on the church wrong. They had completely broken out in revival when people are like praying in tongues everywhere and they're giving testimonies of the healing. And I had to go back and make sure that this is the right church that I, I watch sometimes, and it absolutely was. And you know, it just so again quickened my heart of what God is doing in the earth right now. Come on, somebody, of what God is doing in the earth right now. And I am committed that we will not be a church who misses the heartbeat of what God wants to do. And if it makes us uncomfortable, then we just got to get uncomfortable. If you don't like where we're going, there are about 10,000 other churches between your house and here. Find one. But for me, you know, and I think it's such a prophetic declaration, uh, really, that even the Jesus movement movie has come out, which if you haven't seen it, do go see it. Um, But it really categorizes or what was happening um, in the, the 60s and 70s with really hippies getting saved on fire for Jesus. My mother was saved through that. This week, I sat at a table at a minister's convention and was talking to a lady who's a part of, of YWAM. And I forgot to tell you, Pastor Travis, you went to uh, overseas with them, her husband, Mark. Anyway, I'll forget to tell him afterwards, so just mind your own business while I have a conversation. <laughs> anyway, but she was sharing with me how she was saved um, at a, in the, the, the Jesus movement, she had gone here it, it, at the Jesus festival the one year and got saved. She went back the next year and got filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And as I begin to think about that, and there's this whole generation of people who got on fire for God because of what he was doing in a moment of time. And all the churches and denominations that were birthed out of that movement. But I begin to think, I wonder what traditional mainline churches were doing during that time. Because really, some of the denominations that came out of that came out of that because the churches that they were going to said, weird, hippie, Jesus people, no thank you. You don't look like us, talk like us, breathe like us, move like us, sing like us, no thank you. And I just begin to think about that. And, and again, as we witness what God's doing now on the earth as revival is breaking out literally all over the world. Unspirit-filled churches are just breaking out in revival. So what I'm determined is to not look back a decade later or a generation later and say, man, we completely missed what God wanted to do because we were stuck in our own religiosity and stuck with how we perceive that things need to be done. Is anybody else on that journey with me? And like I said, you know, it's not for everybody, but for this house, we're going to go after what God is doing. Amen? All right. So as I begin to think about that this week, I thought about, I wanted to look at the early church because... They had power. The Bible says that they went, went into cities and literally turned the cities upside down. And what I discovered is there's a few primary things that they did, but I want to just pick on two of them today. But just to catch you up, the day of Pentecost had happened. Jesus, after his resurrection, um, told the disciples, listen, go to Jerusalem. Pray together. Don't leave there till the, the, the Holy Spirit comes. He said, the comforter's coming. You will be, uh, you'll receive power when he comes on you. But don't do anything else until the Holy Spirit comes. Which is a challenge within itself. Because we give God, you know, an hour and 15 minutes in church on a Sunday morning. And if you don't do it then, then it's not going to get done. So the disciples dismissed where Jesus was and watched him ascend up into heaven. They gathered the disciples, the apostles, and 120 of them. Other people were there, 120 altogether. And you know, the Bible says that they were there and they waited and they prayed day after day after day, following the command of God, we won't move until we get what you promised us to get. In old school days, they used to call that praying through. You know what that meant? It meant you went into your prayer closet, you closed the door, and you said, God, I'm not coming out of here until this depression leaves, until I get an answer, until I see breakthrough in my children. I'm closing the door, and I'm praying through. Come on, now we've, we've got an instant generation where, you know, even on social media, Facebook is now, they said, over 50% reels, which you know, for old school people, that means the videos, because people are even less likely to read text than they are now to watch a video. So even what was a generation, people love Facebook. You could read a funny meme. You could read somebody's thoughts on politics. It's like that's not even good enough anymore. It has to be within a 30 to a one-minute video because that's what people are responding to. And we think if we give God a 30-second reel of a prayer that he's going to do something significant in our lives or our church or our city or our community or our family. Joyce Meyer says there is no drive-through breakthrough, right? So, so what do we have to do is we have to get back to the Bible. We have to get back to following the patterns of the early church and those who experienced an outpouring of God and find out what they did. And one of the things they did and they did well was they learned how to tarry. Now that means wait. Wait. 
What if we decided that all other plans beside church on Sunday are indefinitely canceled? Because I don't know what God would do today. I don't know if he would radically change my heart and life and it would take five hours. Come on, you've got 40 years of mess in there. <laughs> Might even take the Holy Spirit five hours to dig all that out. What if our neighbors in our city start flocking to our churches and people need ministry and prayer and people to support them and it might not get done in a 90-minute church service? I'm just submitting that to you, is what if we responded in that way? It is the Lord's day after all. All right, I do this and then I don't even get to like point one. And I'm like, I don't know what happened. So (laughs) the day of Pentecost happened. And uh, through the rest of the book of Acts, we see God working in a very significant and powerful way, and the gospel begins to advance, and it begs the question to me, why did this happen? Why was the church empowered? Why did the gospel spread? Why was it growing? Why were people being baptized in the Holy Spirit? How come they had power that necessarily we don't always see today? What did they do that made it possible for God to do what it is that he wanted to do? What did they do that made it possible for God to do what it is that he wants to do? Again, we have to come back to this this mindset that says, well, if God wants to do it, it will happen. Not necessarily. Seek the Lord while he may be found. He graces us with a window, a, a specific position of opportunity to respond to his call. So get over the thinking, well, if God wants to do it, he'll do it. No, he needs you and I to get involved in what he wants to do. God's will is not automatic, but we have a responsibility. So I want to point out a few things that the early church had, or two things that they did that I think were very significant in causing them to operate in the will of God and see the gospel spread and see revival come to their city. Are you ready? If you're taking notes, this is point number one. They offered to God vibrant worship. Vibrant worship. We often have a tendency to think of worship as people singing and, you know, as, you know, the part of the service where, you know, music is happening. And that's certainly a part of it. But really, when we're worshiping, there's a lot of supernatural things that are happening. There is a lot of supernatural things that are happening. Whether you know it or not, you live in two worlds. We live in this physical world, which is marked by the ability to see in the natural sense bodies and atoms and things. But if that's all there is, then we are hopeless because eventually your natural body will deteriorate in the ground. But what we understand through scripture is that's not the real you. The real you is your spirit man who does not die. But when this mortal body is corrupt and, 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 and fades into the ground, your spirit is so alive and well. Right? So there's that whole world, that spirit world, if you will, where things are happening. And when we worship, the Bible says there's a lot that happens in the spirit when we do that. And I'm not, I don't have time to go down All of them, but I want to bring your attention to Genesis 28, and you don't have to turn there. But Jacob has this vision, and he sees angels ascending and descending, and he begins to say, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven, and it's the place where God is worshipped. 
So he builds an altar and then has this vision of angels coming and going and, 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 and God moving in the supernatural. And it was all marked by a place where people worshipped. Battles were being fought. We are reminded of this even when Daniel prayed. And for 21 days, the answer was held up. And the angel said, you know, and I, I, love, I love the fact that Daniel was so aggressive with his prayer. Because I've been waiting for years for some things. I never had no angel visitation. But I love the fact that Daniel must have been praying God's ear off. So much so that in the midst of the warfare that was happening over his prayer, God was like, can somebody go down and just tell Daniel, I know, I heard you, it's coming, can, you can just shut up about it now. Like, I love that. Like, what type of prayer life? But literally, an angel said, came and told Daniel, listen, as soon as you prayed, God answered. He heard. There's spiritual things that are happening that are holding up this answer coming to you, but just hold on. Warfare is happening. When we praise God, there's all kind of stuff in the spirit world that's happening. We are commissioning angels. That's why corporate worship is important. One can put 1,000 to flight. Two can put 10,000. Maybe I've been fighting something on my own, but when we stand together and we declare the promises of God together, something supernatural happens over my life. I'm not saying you, you're you know, going to hell if you ever miss church, but I'm saying for me, there's something about I can't afford to miss the unity of God's people standing in his house and declaring it together. So battles are being fought, they're being won, things are being changed, all while we worship. However, worship isn't just when we sing, it's not just what we do in this room. Worship is also how we live. Paul reminds us in scripture that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable act of worship. Which in other words, means when you know who God is and you know how he works, the reasonable, the logical, the practical thing to do is live a life that glorifies him. You know, another way that you live a life of worship is by doing what it is that God created you to do. I've preached this in the past, but, you know, it is abnormal for an eagle to go and try to stick its nose in, in, the, in a little flower. Right? And it's abnormal for a hummingbird to try to fly to the snow peak mountaintops. What? That's not what they were designed to do. The eagle was designed to soar. So in the eagle simply soaring and doing what it is that it was called to do, it's fulfilling the God-given purpose of why it was ever placed on the earth to begin with. Sometimes we think the will of God is overcomplicated. You waking up in the morning, brushing your teeth, combing your hair, putting your shoes on your feet and going to your job in the world and being the best light that you can possibly be is fulfilling the plan and the purpose of God. To every mother who gets up and wakes her kids up and gets their lunches together, you are worshiping God through those simple acts of worship. Why? Because you are doing what God created you to do. Come on, somebody. Men, when we sit at the table with our families at night and we say, wait, before we dig in, we're going to stop and give God thanks and pray. We are fulfilling the God-given mandate on our life. And God says that is an act of worship because you're doing what it is that you were called to do. Stop thinking that worship is simply standing on a church stadium or, or excuse me, stage or, you know, pulpit or holding a microphone in your hand. It's doing what God has called you to do. Can I say, don't follow money, follow call. 
Don't follow popularity, follow the calling. Don't follow the crowd, follow the calling. You will never be as successful as you are when you followed the call of God on your life. So if you're called to be a teacher, you may never be a millionaire. It should be in our society, but you may not. But you are successfully living your life. Why? You are fulfilling what God called you to do. And that is an act of worship. That is worshiping God. Amen? All right. So I want to go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I'm going to pull apart some of these words in this this scripture and, and help us really break down what was happening. Acts 242, all the believers. Everybody say that with me. All the believers. So this is important because we're going to see this theme again and again and again, that the believers were operating as a whole. It wasn't just the apostles. It wasn't just the pastoral staff. It was all the believers. All the believers. A move of God is dependent upon everyone who is a part of the house jumping in and doing their part. Let that sink in. I'll say it again. A move of God is dependent upon everyone who is a part of the house jumping in and being a part of what God is doing. You know, one of the quickest ways that we can kill a move of God is when we start comparing it to another move of God. I often think about it this way. You know, sometimes, and I've done this myself, I'll go to a conference where it's like life-giving and impactful, and I run back to my church, and I'm like, well, we should do this, and our church isn't that way, and it's, you know, we don't have this thing, and it doesn't have that same vibe. And one time, God, what God said to me as I was walking into my church and getting ready to tell you know, people, like, this is what you know, we should be doing, all these other things, and here's what he said to me, you're just eating off somebody else's plate. Because that church who hosted the conference, the people putting it together, fought through prayer, labored through prayer, sacrificed in their giving, sacrificed in what they were doing, invested of their time. And as we know from studying the anointing, whenever you begin to offer God a sacrifice, God always responds with the anointing. He always responds with his presence. So all of that was happened before you ever showed up. So now when you walk in and it's like heaven has invaded the room, all that you're doing is eating off of what somebody else prepared for their plate. Well, we don't have it at our church. Have we sacrificed through prayer? Have we sacrificed through giving? Have we sacrificed through serving? Come on. Because what we want, hold on, and I know I'm, I'm preaching strong today, but just roll with me, okay? What we want is this instantaneous move, power, and presence of God in our lives. God's saying, listen, we read the scripture this morning. Ask, seek, knock. And if the door's not open, don't run through somebody else's door. Knock and keep knocking. Ask and keep asking. He's no respecter of persons, which means if he did it for them, he will do it for you or can do it for you. Not that he will. He will do it for you if you follow the same principles of how he did it for them. Come on, somebody. 
Ask, pray, seek, knock, ask, pray, contend, stand in faith, show up early, serve, get involved, give, support, talk good about your church, pray for your church, pray for your leaders, love one another, be here greeting, hugging the visitor's neck. Come on, somebody. All right. I'm not speaking against conferences. I think they're wonderful things. But understand, somebody somewhere sacrificed to make it happen. The believers devoted themselves. The believers devoted themselves. And we just read that. They were hungry. They were all in. They were full on. They devoted themselves. One of the things I want you to notice about vibrant worship is it starts with people who have made the worship of God their top priority. Not a priority, but the top priority. Not a part of the equation. Seek first the kingdom of God. Church wasn't something that they did if they didn't have anything else to do. They were passionate about it. They gave themselves to it. They loved the church. Parents, one of the greatest things that I think we will ever do for our children is to teach them to be lovers of the church. Lovers of the church. And one of the worst things I think we can do as parents for our children is to criticize the church. Now, listen, I'm not saying that the church gets it right all the time, and when we don't, you know, obviously we want to do the best that we can do. But if your children, you know, I've learned this. I, Sarah and I have had conversations, you know, uh, not necessarily about church, but about things where I knew the kids were in the car, but, you know, you kind of just forget, or you just think they're not listening, or you think they're in their room, and then suddenly, like, two days later, Jeremiah's like, hey, Dad, the other day when you said, and you're like... But when they hear you criticizing and tearing down and pulling apart the church, they're not going to grow to love the church. But when we are highly talking about the church, celebrating what God is doing in the church, listen, you will always find what you're looking for. The most devastating thing is to see your house without any furniture in it. Has anybody else ever moved and you walk back in your house and you're like, I didn't realize the walls were in that need of paint. (laughs) Why? Because you're there, you're doing life, you have furniture, you have things, it's full, you're not really looking. You always find what you're looking for. We will always find fault if we're looking for fault. A few years ago, I preached this to you in, in a different term where I said, witness my revival. God is always lo- moving if you're looking for him to move. He's always speaking if you're listening for him to speak. All right. So we can choose to be critical of the church and we can choose to be, you know, and again, I'm not preaching this, you know, because we're having a problem. I'm preaching this as preventative measures. Because I don't know where we're going, I just know we're going. 
and you may not like it, but what I'm here to tell you is the worst thing that you can do is criticize what God's doing in front of your children. If you don't like it, there are other places to worship. All right? But let's keep it a positive thing for your kids. You can't create in them what's not in you. But teach your kids to look for the good. Teach your kids how you can have the most nasty, meanest person on your job. Why? Because it's the same for them. They have a nasty, mean, ugly person on the playground. And they watch how you respond to somebody on your job. And yet you can point out the negative or you can say, you know what? Here's what's good about them. I can find the positive. So we look for the good. Amen? Vibrant worship prioritizes solid teaching. Acts 2, 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they were committed and interested in information and application of divine truth. Why is this important? Why should it be important? Because we cannot grow beyond what we know. I can't grow beyond new revelation. Come on. I can't grow beyond what I know. So the most important thing I can do is surround myself with teaching. Not just teaching that makes me feel good or shout, but teaching that develops me, grows me, strengthens me on the inside. We can have experiences that develop us, but like we prayed this morning, if we don't have that anchor of the word of God, those experiences can take you places outside the will of God. So we've got to know the word. Again, there are no shortcuts to this thing. Hang around church life. We will package it different. And we'll preach it different. We'll put a different sermon title on it. But the basic thing that you're here over and over again is you need to pray. You need the word of God. You need to be a generous person. And you need to love people. And my job is i got to spin it in different things so you think you're hearing a new sermon. But really, it's the same thing, just with a different title and a new background. But So my point is, if you want to be a successful Christian, you can't get away from these things. So it's like at some point, if you're struggling in this, you just have to say, all right, I'm going to dig my heels into the, the, the sand or to the dirt, and I'm just going to bite the bullet. I don't care if I don't understand the scripture, I'm reading it for 20 minutes a day. I don't care how hard it is to be a generous person and to give and to support my church and to love my neighbor. I'm going to do it regardless of how much it hurts because that's what God has commanded me to do. I'm going to pray even when it feels like heaven is closed over me. I'm going to pray when I don't see the answer. I'm going to pray when I don't know what to say. Why? Because that's the life of a believer. That's the life of a God follower. That's the life of a person that God will intervene in and do something significant. If you believe it, shout amen. Amen. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Hearing the word of God. Come on, somebody. There's value in the word. Vibrant worship values interaction with other believers. 
values interaction with other believers. Again, we're going to jump back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The word fellowship in the Greek means to share something in common with others. It means they had this essence to what I have is yours and it, what you have is mine. And some people will take that scripture and they preach it that they were like living in a commune where they just sold everything. And, you know, that's not quite happening because the scripture actually says they went from each other's homes. So, you know, breaking bread. So it, they still had homes. So that's not what they were doing. But they just lived this life in essence of we're in this thing together. I value you, and if you have a need, I'm there, and if I have a need, I can rely on you and support you. But the American church has embraced this independence of American culture. And spiritually, if we do that, it's not to our benefit. It's not to our benefit to be overly independent. God never designed you just to walk with him by yourself. Even when it was God and Adam in the garden together, alone. He looked at Adam and says, Adam, it's not good for you to be by yourself. But God places us in community. He places us in family. Church isn't a personal experience. It's a community, a gathering together of people doing life together. We hear this even laid out in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. It's a recognition of the community of believers that we come together to worship. Give us this daily bread, our daily bread. We're praying for other people's needs, not just our own. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation. So we're not praying for our own lives, but we're praying for the needs and the lives of other people. Church is about encouraging others. It's praying for others. It's building relationships. We can see this in the life of Job, where Job was down and out. His friends are telling him to curse God, but God turned his situation around when Job began to pray for his friends. Why? Because sacrifice always produces a move of God. Job's sacrifice, when he should have told his friends, you know what I think about you, fill in the blank. When he should have told his wife, you know where you can go after you just told me to curse God and die? But he did it. He responded and offered up a sacrifice of prayer for those who were being, at that time, his enemies. And God said, Job, because you've done that, I'll step into your situation. Sometimes when you've prayed that all you can pray for your kids, start praying for somebody else's kids. Start praying for somebody else's and watch what God does in your life. We are called to be in community together. Some people say, well, you know, if our church was bigger, I'd have more friends. But here's actually a statistic that I found, which I think is so cool. They said that regardless of the church size, they, had, they surveyed churches of 50 people to churches of 10,000 people. Regardless of the church's size that you're going to, you will know about 65 to 70 people in that church. So even mega churches of 20,000 people the average believer knows about 65 to 70 people inside that church. We have well more than that at Hope City. Come on, you just gotta put a low effort into the thing. I love how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. He says, all of you together are Christ's body and each one of you is a part of it. 
We're all a part of the body of Christ. So what is it called when one part of the body says, I'm done, I don't want to do my job anymore? A disability, an illness, or if it's serious enough, if it's you know, your brain or your heart that just says, hey, I'm done, we would even call that death. But Paul says, you're like the body. Every part, every member is required. You can't do this thing on your own. We can't host a move of God on our own. We can't see God invade our city on our own. We need each other. And lastly, vibrant worship prioritizes prayer. Again, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, sharing, and meals, including the Lord's Supper, and the prayer they uh, were devoted, and prayer. They were devoted to prayer. I want you to see something. This isn't talking about individual prayer. It is assumed that people would pray on their own and they would have their own time with the Lord. But this is talking about them devoting seasons of prayer together. Why? Ask. Seek, knock. What do you need? Ask, seek, knock. What do you want as a church? Ask, seek, and knock. So if we want to see and we want to host a move of God as a church, we need to be a praying church. I don't know if you've ever heard of The Ramp or Karen Wheaton, but Karen Wheaton was a popular singer back in the 80s and 90s, and I'll be, I doubt she'll ever see this, so I'll just be pretty blunt, but she had kind of grown out of popularity. Um, I still loved her because that's my, that's my jive right there, um, that, that season of music in the church, but she could have just you know, taken her success and retired, but she felt a call to start a youth movement in her little town. And so she gathered four or five young people, and they just began to pray. They would get together at at night after school, and they would pray. And if you ever hear her tell this story, she says they prayed for weeks. Nothing happened, but they prayed. They just prayed. They didn't even know what they were asking for. They just so wanted a move of God in the young people and in their, their city that they prayed, and they prayed. And they prayed. And suddenly, the revival fires hit that group of four or five people. And today, if you know of the ramp, they have several locations. It's one of the largest youth movements, Holy Spirit-filled. You know, the who's of the who's is going there to minister to the young people. But I love the fact that it all started with one woman who said, God, what's next? What's next? You know, she could have identified as, well, I'm a singer, and that's all I'm ever going to do. But she was willing to say, God, call me out of my comfort zone. What's next? And a group of four people launched a movement. Why? Prayer changes things. Prayer has impact. God is going to do as the church prays. You can get it. God is going to do as the church prays. What is he going to do? What we pray for. What is he going to do? 
I'm going to keep, we're going to keep going here. I told you, just cancel your plans. What is God going to do? What is God going to do? So what is the most important event that we can have as a church? What is the least attended event in any church in America? What don't we see happening in America? So what will God do? What we pray. The reason why people don't like prayer is because there's no me involved. Worship, I feel. Preaching, I get. Prayer, I give. We will have what we pray. We pray together as a church prior to services, 9.30 in the prayer room, out these double doors. We pray every Wednesday at 9 o'clock in the prayer room. But maybe we need to add more times of prayer together. Because as we pray, God does. God is going to do what we pray. And the last thing I want to point out to you today is that they were in awe of the signs and wonders. First we read says that they were in awe of what God was doing. They were aware of what God was doing. When we're not in awe of what God's doing, we'll see less of it. There's something about this sense of anticipation, this awareness of visitation, this awe of his invasion into a church. It, there's this aspect where it just draws on God. The Bible says, he who is faithful with little. When we can't, well, let me rephrase it this way. When we stop losing the awe of one person in our services coming to Christ, and then God's going to say, well, I'm going to entrust you to host revival for the Northeast. And you've lost the wonder of one person having their soul radically saved for eternity. You know, when we get together in this room and we lift our hands and you start to feel the presence of God, men and women have died in history. Like I think of even David when they're carrying the ark and the, it started to fall and the guy reached out and touched it and died because the presence of God was in it. I think of the priests who had hidden sin in their life and they would stupidly walk into the Holy of Holies and fall over dead and they would have to take a rope and pull them out. Like the lies of people who just came in contact with the presence of God and were taken out because it was before Christ died on the cross and covered our sin. So when we stand in a place like this and we worship God and we feel the presence of God rushing into the room and we lose the awe and wonder that he's here, he's with us, the God of the universe is touching our lives, he's in this very place, he's present with us. Men and women have died trying to go after what we obtain every single day. So we can never lose our awe. We can never lose our sense of wonder about what God is doing. 
Never take it common when somebody comes to faith. You know, I would just, as we've been going through this Wednesday night Bible study, and it's again, it's another plug for our Wednesday night Bible study, the Revival If Bible study. You know, one of the, the statistics that it said, and I, I forget the, if I get a number wrong, but I think it was, they said this year, 60% of people who receive Christ will do it in a church of two years, uh, that was uh, two years old or less. Two years old or less. 60% of people who will come to God would do it in a church that was started within the last two years. Why? Why? Because sometimes the longer we've existed as a church, the more we lose our awe. The more we lose our wonder. The more we stop celebrating what God said to celebrate. The more we start thinking that this whole thing is about me and making me comfortable and entertaining me and watching my kids for an hour and a half. And we stop realizing this thing is a portal where people come in one way and they leave another. They come in lost, but they leave saved. Where When God looks at this place, people's names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Can I tell you, I, you know, when I thought about this this week, I went back and I looked at the numbers. So far this year, we've already seen 27 people receive Christ in this church. And I love that. I love that because we're, we're eight years or nine. I don't know anymore. Eight years. And it says to me, it's a good thing. It means we're still celebrating what God says to celebrate. We're still gathering around the fact that inviting Christ into your heart is the premier thing of what we do as a church. Let us never lose our wonder. When somebody comes to the altar and they bow their knee, don't act like that's a small thing. You know how hard it is to get up in front of a group of people, walk to an altar, and everybody's thinking, I wonder if it's porn. I wonder if it's drugs. I wonder what they're going on in their life. I thought his wife looked a little off today. You know what I And you got to push through all of that to get yourself up here on the altar. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. What are they going to think about me? But the fact that somebody would be moved with such a, the presence of God to say, I'm going to push off what they think about me, what they're wondering it could be, and get my faith planted in an altar because I need to see the presence of God, that's not common. That's uncommon. And we should celebrate it. We should rejoice over it. We should shout about it. We should dance about it because we're still in a house that experiences the presence of God. There's still life flowing through these bones. There's still life flowing through these services. Come on, somebody. This isn't a message of, you know, called to condemn us. I, you know, I am in love with this church. I'm in love with what God's doing here. We are abnormal. We still see people get saved. We still believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We will still pray for the sick and watch them recover. We still will. We still will. I forget the number of churches, but I, th I think it's somewhere around 80-some percent of churches. It's either 80 or 90, 80 is the conservative side of churches, are in decline in America. Decline. More pastors leave the occupation of clergy than any other occupation in the world every single week. COVID shut down more churches in the two years following. They couldn't recover. Now, Paul's there with that information. We grew 
We are growing. Our growth trend, you might look around and say, where's everybody? I don't know. But if everybody shows up at the same time, we're good. <laughs> Our growth trend is at a higher percentage than they, you know, say growing churches usually grow about 6%. So far, we're, we're trending at 12% this year. So out of, hold on, out of the 80-some per church, churches who are declining in America, those who are growing are growing at 6%. And here we are, growing at 12 Again, I'm not here to, I'm saying we got to host what God's trying to do. I feel like he's on this side of the door knocking. And he's like, can you just, if you, if you just asked me, if you, you're already there, like, it's like, the, he's like, he's got his handle on the door. And he's like, oh, if I hear even the slightest knock from your side, I'm going to rush into this thing. And it's going to do more than you ever thought it was possible for it to do. You're going to see God do incredible if, you ju- if we could just knock, if we would just ask if we would just pray, if we would just take seriously when we call a 20-day fast as a church, it's not going through the religious emotion of it, and I don't do that, and I don't participate in that, well, then you better participate in what God's trying to do, because it's us saying, God, as the church, we're knocking, we're fasting, we're praying, we're seeking your face, we're not trying to eat off somebody else's plate and get a few chills, I want to see it here, in my house, in my church, in my family, I want my kids on fire for God, I want my family saved, I want my neighbors saved. So don't underestimate what you're a part of. I live with that knowledge. It's funny, the first week we did the Wednesday night Bible study, I woke up at one in the morning, jumped up, and it was this overwhelming, I can't pastor people. I can't, this is, this is so beyond me. And there was a demonic element to it, but you know, I'd rather live on that side of it, saying, God, I can't do this, than live on the side where I show up in front of you with full confidence, like I know what I'm doing. Trust me, because I don't know. I'm trying to follow him. I've not been here before. I, here's the thing. I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't want to go where I know how to go because it means I've been there before. Yeah. I don't want anything I've had before. I've already tasted off that plate. I want what he's doing now, and I've not been there. That's why he said, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow, Joshua told the people, I will do wonders among you. I will take you somewhere you've never been before, a land that you've not possessed before. I don't know how all this is supposed to go and look. That's why I'm looking back at the early church and saying, what did they do? They prayed together. They worshiped together. They fasted together. They did life together. They didn't just come in and storm out the doors the minute church was over. They got to know one another. Because if you don't know the soldier who you are in battle with, who's running beside you, you've got a problem. If you don't know that the person three rows behind you has your back and you have their back, then we've got a problem as a church. Come on, somebody. And all that can't happen from me standing up here preaching to you for 45 minutes. That's you getting out your comfort zone saying, hey, I don't know your name, but come to lunch with me. Hey, 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 I'm taking a group of people. We're going here. Why don't you come with me? And quit waiting for somebody else to do it to you and you walk out with a sour face and say, well, nobody invited me and pastor said it. (laughs) You've missed it. (laughs) Then you do it. Revival comes from you. It comes from your hands. It comes out of your being. You do it. Come on somewhere. We have to know one another. We have to fellowship one another. 
And lastly, and I know I said that three times, but lastly, and team, you can come. The early church had an overwhelming passion to reach the lost. Signs and wonders. Let me just submit this to you because this is going to play with your brain a little bit. Signs and wonders aren't for the believer. See, go back to the Israelites in the wilderness. Shoes that didn't wear off, miracles, manna in the morning, fire by, or fire by night, cloud by day. Miracles were happening for them. But that was never God's plan. God's plan was that they would just walk this brief little journey and get into their promised land where they didn't need any of that stuff. When you get saved, we're supposed to transfer out of running and chasing after miracles to walking in the abundance of God. Oh, I don't need a financial miracle. I'm blessed. I'm, I'm saying that by faith. So if you want to bless me, go ahead. But, <laughs> but you see the difference. The Bible says we will lend to many nations and not borrow. That's right. I can't take somebody to lunch and bless them and encourage them and pray for them if I don't, if I don't have gas money to get to work next week. I don't want pastor to talk about money. Well then, okay. But again, you can't grow beyond what you know. So we've got to talk about these things so we can be a blessing to people, so we can help people. Revival means longer services if they ever do end, which means more electric bills that got to be paid, which means we'll probably have to jump into another building project. I'm just, just, no. I was going to say I'm just joking because I felt the room go cold. <laughs> so let it sink in let the Holy Spirit know next time around we can just hire the contractors to come in and do it and we can bless them with lunch how about that come on somebody <laughs> but all of it means more sacrifice on our part more prayer more worship so I'm saying we can't escape of hosting a move of God. But they were obsessed with reaching the lost. But signs and wonders are supposed to happen for the unbeliever. It's supposed to be a confirming of what we're saying. Confirming that God's alive, that he do signs and wonders for the unbeliever. They were passionate about it because they wanted the unbeliever. They never lost their sense of awe. One of the greatest ways we can lose our sense of awe is by having a critical spirit. I'm not going to preach it. I'm just going to leave it there. But verse 47 says, The Lord added to their numbers daily those who are being saved. A man that... Uh, Penn from the uh, Penn and Teller magic comedy duo said this one time he said I'm an atheist don't believe in God but listen to what he said he said I don't respect people who do not share their faith he said because if they do truly believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that people could be going to hell. Here's what he said. Listen, 
How much do you have to hate someone to not share your faith with them? And that's from an atheist. He said, how much? And that was the driving passion of the early church. That's why God added to their numbers daily. That's why they went into cities and the cities were turned upside down and the gospel spread so well around the world that here we are 2,000 years later still preaching the gospel because they were obsessed with sharing their faith. So what I want us to do is, ushers, if you have those cards, and you don't have to take a card, you can use a piece of paper and a pen. It's just thought in case you don't have a piece of paper. If you need a pen, raise your hand. If you need a pen or a piece of paper, lift up your hand. And I'm not sure it can get you. Because I'm going to ask you to write something down that you're not going to keep. So I don't care what kind of paper it's on. It could be a bank receipt. Walmart receipt. It don't matter. But if you don't have a piece of paper or a pen, slip up your hand and we'll get that to you. have to hate somebody to not tell them about heaven I'm not accusing anybody in here of hate but the opposite of love isn't hate, you know what the opposite of love is indifference you know if I hate someone it means emotionally there's something there I want you to hear me on this I know we're getting paper but listen if I hate someone, it means that they're emotionally, there's something there. I did love them at one time. I still do. That there can be such a response. The true opposite of love is indifference, where I just feel absolutely nothing. Couldn't matter to me any less of what happens with them. So here's why I'm doing all this paper stuff. Listen. Easter is two weeks away. I'm not trying to fill our building on Easter Sunday because it'll take a few good pictures for the website. Okay. I'm trying to fill our building on Easter Sunday and we're going to cram as many chairs in here as we can because every single person is going to encounter the presence of God and be presented with the opportunity to have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They might be out of town. They may never step foot back into this church again. That's all right. If they want to go somewhere else, that's all right. We'll populate. We're, we're populating heaven, not our church. And I don't ever want, you know, we hand out invite cards. I don't ever want you to take it as a small thing. But I want us to purpose in our heart Who's the one? If everyone just invited one. Parents, this is where we get our kids involved. Who's their one? Who's your one? So what I want us to do is we're going to begin to sing and worship. And we're going to take a moment. And I want you to write that one. Write their name on that piece of paper. And then after a few minutes, I'll, I'll let you know. Or here's how we're doing. Write the name on the piece of paper, and then when you are ready, I want you to bring that piece of paper up here to this basket that's at the foot of the cross. 
Drop it in and go back to your seat and just worship the Lord with us. And every time we get together as a church between now and Easter, whenever we get together for prayer, whenever we get together for church, we're going to lay hands on that basket. And we're going to believe the Lord with you. Come on, we're going to believe the Lord with you that that one is coming. All right? So take this seriously, pray about that name, and then go ahead and write it down and bring it up and place it in the basket.
I'm going to save the seat beside me. I'll take you to lunch afterwards. Well, well, I got other plans. You telling me your lunch plans after church are more important than where this person spends eternity? How about we mix it up this year? How about we invade heaven with souls? So we're going to pray together as a church and believe God that we populate heaven. Everyone's important, I see it. I love that. That's somebody got oh, China House. I don't know what that is. It looks good. All right. All right, let's pray. Father, we lift every name. Every name in this basket, every name that's being submitted online through Messenger right now. Father, we know that they're not just friends and co-workers. We know that they're not just neighbors and family members and sons and daughters and fathers and mothers, but they are souls who will live for eternity. And we love them so much that we want them to live with you in heaven forever. We don't want them to go to hell. We don't want them to, to, to live in that. So Father, would you give us boldness to share the gospel? Would you give us boldness to invite? Would you give us boldness to bring? pray now for every person. I just, like almost, I just see like the Lamb's Book of Life. He's just putting the date. He's just putting the date. Just get them, get the dates ready, God, because they're coming. They're coming in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we believe. Let the church say amen. Are you in agreement? They're coming in. We're going to keep praying together. We're going to keep believing God. The last thing, and then we'll worship one last song, right? Is when the Holy Spirit fell, do you know the, the earmark of, of the presence of God in their life wasn't speaking in tongues, it wasn't signs and wonders, it wasn't the gift of faith, it was boldness. They were bold to share their faith. Just take that. They were bold to share their faith. Let's go ahead and